0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast.
1: There's uh, certainly been lots of, of chatter over... Uh, well, I, I guess it all started this round uh, with the Harvey Weinstein accusations and uh, uh, accusations of misconduct against him and, of course, uh, that house of cards that fell. Uh, it quickly spread through the entertainment business. People like Kevin Spacey, uh, Matt Lauer... Uh, of of course, uh, all, uh, having accusations, uh, tossed their way. And of course, uh, the end result, we all know what that is. Uh, but then there seems to be a group of people that have sort of, I don't know, their names have come up. Their names have come out in this, but some sort of get a pass, it seems. Uh, like the Bill Clintons, the Woody Allens, Dustin Hoffmans, Donald Trump. Uh, Here's what Rachel Cook had to say. Cook, she is uh, uh, one of the victims, alleged victims, of the Donald Trump scenario. Uh, Megyn Kelly this morning, along with uh, some of the accusers sharing their stories uh, live on NBC this morning, here's what they had to say.
2: Well, I worked in Trump Tower um, at a company that um, actually did business with Trump. And I saw him frequently because um, I sat right out front um, behind glass doors, and he used the elevator bank um, to get to his residence right outside our office. So I would see him almost daily, you know, waiting for his elevator. Um, And on one day, I decided to introduce myself because I did see him regularly. Um, And he shook my hand, you know, and he kind of gave me the normal double cheek kiss um, but then he held on to my hand and he kept kissing me you know he kept asking me maybe a, a question where are you from and kissing me again where is and this again. where's this happening it's right outside the elevators right outside my office so he kept kissing you yeah he went I don't know how many times back and forth multiple um, and then he kissed me on the lips and I was shocked yeah I mean devastated I didn't it happened so fast, I guess, and I, I didn't really, I wish I would have been courageous enough to be like, you know, what's going on and you need to stop this, but um, I think ultimately he got on his elevator and I, I ran back into the office and I remember hiding in um, our boss's office because no one else was there. It was early in the morning um, and I called my sister and I was like, I don't, I don't know what just happened, but I felt horrible.
1: Uh, that, of course, uh, one of the accusers, uh, Rachel Cook's on with uh, Megan Kelly this morning uh, on NBC. Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR, and is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for taking the time to join us uh, this morning. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it seems that uh, after the Harvey Weinstein thing, that, that names started flying left, right, and center, some of them stuck, some of them didn't. Um, y- you know, and, and what about the Bill Clintons? What about the Donald Trumps? What about the Woody Allens? What about the Dustin Hoffmans?
3: Boy, oh boy. I, you know, I, I, I saw the uh, Megyn Kelly episode, actually, and I don't usually watch her. I'm trying to give her a try. And, you know, it seems that, you know, you can run, but you can't hide. And that if you have a past, somebody's going to figure it out, find out, and you're going to have to deal with it. You know, even this morning, uh, celebrity chef Mario Batali, who I love, I love watching Mario. He has been sexually assaulting women for years. And his statement said that, yes, I recognize this. I don't uh, deny or disagree with any of the allegations, and I'm going to get help. So, you know, you and I have talked about systematic change before, Scott. But really, you know, I think that as revelations continue, that companies, that people are starting to rethink policies, people are starting to rethink behavior and trying not to allow that behavior to occur in a way that maybe would have taken decades to change or not at all.
1: So why are some of these sticking? Why are some not? Why does Bill Clinton get a pass? Why does Donald Trump get a pass?
3: Well, I don't think that Donald Trump is going to get a pass. And I think that you and I have said this before, that, you know, everybody's coming forward. And what about Donald Trump? You know, people call him the sexual predator in chief. And why isn't he doing anything about it? So, you know, let's look at the Megyn Kelly episode for a second. You, You know, we look at this. This is put together. Obviously, this has been in the works. And Megyn Kelly used to work for Fox, so I think she's got, still has some very deep connections inside the White House press corps. I was surprised that this came out on a Monday, and I guess, I mean, they had to be working all weekend to put this together. They found three credible witnesses that were willing to go on air and subsequently go into a press conference uh, right after the show. And during the show, there happened to be a statement delivered that uh, from the White House, just so happened, that um, denied the allegations. Now, listen, any good communications team uh, will be notified that they're doing something on Megyn Kelly. They're sitting there watching it. They can only need to watch five minutes to know how to craft a statement and to get it uh, to the producer to make sure that it's read on air. So... You know, uh, as much as that was contrived, somebody is trying to keep the story on the bubble again. And what better than, than who better than a person at NBC whose ratings are not doing well, who has great aspirations and can wield her power to get the story out. So it's very interesting that it's happening in this way. And when we talk about what... So does the investigate,
1: does their reporting have, uh, should we be looking at it through a different lens uh, if we evaluate it the way you've just stated, that, you know, they're looking for ratings, basically?
3: I think uh, people are starting to use this platform in a number of different ways. But the thing about this story is that it's credible, and that you have credible witnesses with credible accounts and great memories. So... You know, what it needs is somebody with a big platform in order to bring these women again forward. You know, the first one said, you know, I came out with this story, and then he got elected. And I thought, well, that's great. Nobody cares. And when we first heard about Dustin Hoffman, we're like, oh, my gosh, Dustin Hoffman, Tootsie, I love Dustin Hoffman. And then he was taken to task by John Oliver, and some of us didn't think that was fair. And then more women are coming forward. So, you know, if you are going to deny an allegation, you better have a rock solid memory and you better be as clean as the driven snow, as pure as the driven snow to make sure that what you're denying won't come up again. And what's happening here is that you apologize, but then you can't get angry and you can't deny because people have long memories and people have um, real experiences.
1: So uh, what separates these stories? Is it infidelity versus abuse? I mean, you know, could we look at Monica Lewinsky any different than, are we looking at Monica Lewinsky any different now than we did way back when?
3: We may. And conversation is starting to bubble up around there. I've, you know, as a communicator, I always tend to see if a story is going or if people are looking into it when you start to see small snippets here and there. And the Bill Clinton story is starting to resurface. And people are saying, gee, what if Ken Starr, who was the prosecutor during those hearings, what if Ken Starr was right? And then people are now looking at Monica Lewinsky saying, you know, she was sort of, quote unquote, victim zero in all of this. Yeah. Victim zero in a way that and man, you know, and in many a paint, public
1: way. And many painted her as just the tart.
3: Exactly. So like, Bill Clinton.
1: Certainly not a victim, the anyway. yet of all, hmm.
3: if it ever all comes to light. But the Clintons are very powerful people, and they probably quashed every, they tried to think of every uh, single scenario and tried to quash it from being able to bubble up again. But right now, right now, nobody is safe.
1: So, uh, do, and we've talked about this before, do, and is this, I'm trying to understand why some are getting a pass and some are not. I'm thinking, you know, there's probably too many stories and not enough people to investigate it all. You
3: know I don't think anybody's getting a pass. I think as soon as your name is plastered in the
1: media. But some people, but it seems that some are being handled a lot differently than others are. I mean, your name may get in the media, but you may not, you know, lose your livelihood or your jobs the way some are losing them. Um, you know, and, and, you know, is the difference in that the reason that, you know, uh, every scenario is different and can we view those past actions through today's lens? Do we say to these people, okay, now this is the way it is, so anything you do from here on in, you're going to be viewed through today's lens. Do you do that or do you say no? You know, even though it was 1980, it's still, it's you know, it's not acceptable then, it's not acceptable now.
3: I'm with the latter. You know, people say, but it was a long time ago. And, you know, when John Oliver said this back to Dustin Hoffman, and he said, it was a long time ago, 40 years ago. And he looks at him and he says so.
1: But but again, you know, yes, the crime is the same. But I think the point he's trying to make is these actions were viewed differently then than they no, are now. No,
3: no, I disagree. These actions were not viewed differently then. These actions may have been viewed differently back then. By why, men, then why then why then why are we then
1: why are we talking about it now? Just because, because all of a sudden women, somebody
3: was afraid to come forward. Women were afraid to come forward. To why us. though? Because why though? Because
1: times were different.
3: Well, because there was no system and or no platform for anybody to believe them. Some of these women did complain to superiors. Some of these did complain result? to management and they were never heard from again.
1: So do you think this is a result of social media, technology?
3: Yes, people have a wider platform now, Mm -hmm. and there are different platforms where we don't have to rely on journalists or people sweeping things under the rug. Social media and and any media right now has given rise to, you know, people who want to have a voice don't necessarily need to have the media to give them the voice. They can do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And these women, you know, some of them were single moms. Some of them, you know, went and said, you know, this is happening. And Superior said, you know what, don't worry about it. That was most often. Do you just walk away from your job and expect tomorrow you're going to get another job when maybe you're the the breadwinner and you're, you're providing for a family? Just because something happened 40 years ago and people say, oh, well, it was 40 years ago. Yeah, no, again, I, we...
1: I don't mean that the crime is is any more valid one decade to the other. It's just the way, I mean, it's like people look at smoking differently. People look at drinking and driving differently. People look at drugs differently. People look at a lot of things differently now than they, never, than they used to. I right? know,
3: but sexual assault, Scott, come on. You know what? I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But I can't compare that. You know, like, you know and, and, again, and
1: again, here you go, and we're talking about the spectrum, as we did last time we discussed this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sexual assault and, and what the Harvey Weinsteins of the world are doing is one thing. Uh, you know, slapping a girl's rear end is another. Or saying something like, hang on, say, saying something like, hey, this is a weird free- threesome while I'm having a picture or making reference to a threesome. That's different.
3: You know, the thing is, is that the spectrum is narrowing, and I have my own thoughts about that that latter that, that latter piece that you mentioned about um, that that photograph comment. But you know, my main point is, is that the spectrum is smaller. So where you think that you know, you know, just sort of patting somebody or, or touching somebody may may be okay. Down, you know, on to the other end where it's being sexually assaulted. Honestly, the more these allegations come out, and the more women start to stand up and say, "I didn't feel comfortable with that. I was standing in an elevator, and you just thought you could lean in and kiss me." And that, and of course, she went to her superiors, and of course, then you know, he was their biggest client, and of course, they're going to say, "Well, you know what? Don't let it bother you, dear." So, you know, when we talk about what makes it different, what makes one worse than the other and what if one is on one side of the spectrum and one is on the other, that spectrum, you, if, you know, think about it as a, if, you know, in a ruler, you know, it's all it's gotten very, very, very small now so that it's all being put into the same bucket and all being looked at with the same lens, no matter what it was.
1: If you go after Trump, do you have to go after Clinton? I mean, how can you oh, not? I think that how you know, can you not?
3: There's there's nothing that the Republicans do better, Scott, than is run a dirty campaign, and if they feel that their Commander in Chief, I mean, the Republicans are getting raked over the coals for everything that they believe in. And right you know, now, the other and the, s- the, the, the others,
1: and the other side, the other side is sheet and white too, aren't they, Alyssa?
3: <laughs> Pardon me? I didn't hear?
1: Well, you were talking about, you know, the, the Republicans will do anything to, ri- to, to run a dirty campaign. And, and that just makes the, the, the Democrats look like they're just uh, sheet linen white. They're just beautiful.
3: Oh, there. but when something happens to the Democrats, the Democrats, you know, people jump all over that because of the so-called pristine image and always being on the you know the side of right. Right. So I think everybody's fair game. Everybody is fair game. And yeah. everybody who's anybody who's so powerful is covering their tracks like crazy right now. But you can only do it for so long. And really, what newspapers, there's been an increased relevancy. Like people who have benefited from this the most is, you know, maybe the whistleblowers, but really is the mainstream media, not the social media, the mainstream media, because they have the wherewithal and the resources to do research, to run forensic audits. And they're being given all these sort of resources at their disposal in order to become uh, the muckrakers of, you know, of, the, of 2018. You know, before, many, many decades ago, you know, newspapers would reveal people like the big bosses back in the 20s, and, you know, there was Watergate, and, you know, newspapers had a special part in society for keeping everybody on yeah. the straight and narrow. And then as, you know, media began to lack for money and there was a lack of resources, um, they began to fall off in terms of their relevancy. Now they've refound their footing And newspapers like the Washington Post, like the New York Times, listen, even like the Globe and Mail and and, and here in Canada are putting a lot of resources into exposing the bad. And they have become sort of a quote-unquote neutral slash third-party voice for the people to present the facts, both good and bad.
1: Yeah, very similar to, um, obviously, when this campaign started, the Trump campaign started, lots of chatter about fake news. It certainly has made the traditional uh, and what were considered credible news sources, I mean, it's raised the standards. Everybody's pulled up their bootstraps, I think, as a result of this, no?
3: Oh, I think so, because you will be taken to task if you haven't done the research properly. You know, ABC just fired a senior, or, yeah, I think they fired him, a senior political reporter for going out with stories, you know, being first, being fast, without right. really having all the facts, but it was good, you know, salacious enough to get on air. So people are being very, very, um, newspapers are, you know, their legal teams are very busy, let's just say that.
1: So are the Clintons, the Trumps, the Woody Allens, the Dustin Hoffmans, are they in the same category as the Spaceys and, and uh, Matt Lowers and and, and Charlie Roses and, and Weinsteins and such?
3: Yes. Yes. I, you know, I can no longer, maybe two weeks ago, would have said, no, 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 you know, well, these people are over there and these people are over here. I mean, and Woody Allen is completely heinous. I mean, let, let's not forget about Woody Allen. He married his daughter. And how we all gave him a pass back then, um, I don't know. But really think about it. Really think about it. And there are people doing some serious digging right now, and I think that. So what is
1: what is more valuable here—the story or keeping the secret? Because at one at one time, the old days, they just pay things off, and the secret would be kept.
3: Sure, everybody knew about JFK, but nobody reported on it.
1: So now as you've pointed out, uh, media in a different uh in a different position, now one, you know, where they need to prove their credibility perhaps more. Is that leveling the playing field with all of these now?
3: Well here's the thing, keeping the secret, NBC News was called out because they had an expose on Harvey Weinstein and they quashed it. And I believe it was done by Ronan Farrow who is Mio Farrow's son hmm. and who hates his father, Woody Allen. So yeah, they, they, yeah. they basically quashed that. So if you are a major media outlet, the likelihood is that somebody's going to blow the whistle that you, that you uh, threw away a story. So you can't even get away with that. Like keeping the secret is no longer. There are too many people working behind the scenes
1: to expose these secrets. So the Trumps, the Clintons, the Hoffmans, the Allens, uh, they're going down just like Spacey and Lauer and the rest? They may.
3: I mean, some of them haven't been exposed, and who knows? But, I mean, those that have been are all going down the same path. But my prediction, in six months, a year from now, Matt Lauer will appear on Fox News. Just saying.
1: Alyssa Freeman has been with us, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. Alyssa, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. We have talked a lot on this show over uh, about various scams, uh, specifically uh, in and around those with the Canada Revenue Agency. Not a word of a lie. I got another one. Um, I think this one was to my cell phone, which was odd, because I think it's the first one I've received on my cell phone. Uh, with the same sort of recording, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you're, something wrong with your income tax or whatever. And then, of course, uh you know, call this number right away and, 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 and get it taken care of. My wife has also received uh, the same sort of call uh, in the last, uh, I would say, six months or so. So um, we've talked about these, and, and, you know, whether it's somebody claiming that, you know, there's a relative that's sick or somebody that's in trouble and needs the cash or what have you, uh, you know, some of these scams are as old as time. Uh, however, the method in which they are executed or the method of which the payment Is exchanged uh, can be uh, can be pretty technologically advanced Uh, we uh, had talked in the past about uh, examples of people who had actually gone to stores and purchased gift cards and the whole idea behind purchasing the gift cards was to pay some sort of demand or ransom or something that some some scam that somebody had been involved with uh, to the point where places that would sell these cars would uh, cards would would have notices on the walls saying, hey, you know, that's not what these things are to be used for. Um, And you often wonder why a red flag wouldn't go up if if that sort of method was there. Same sort of thing now uh, uh, happening with Bitcoin as uh, cryptocurrency fraud has doubled. Uh, in the last year. Uh, just under $2 million so far um, in in the last year. Uh, so uh, again, uh, technico- uh, technological advances uh, making it easier for us to exchange money, but it doesn't seem to be sending up any more red flags. Let's bring in Andreas Park, Associate Professor, Institute of Management and Innovation, Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto, and with us now, uh, Andreas, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate this. Thanks for having me, Scott. So, is uh, before we get into the scam side of this and, and the fraud that's going on here, uh, Bitcoin is this the future of commerce or is this a trade wreck waiting to happen?
4: Well, um, I'd like to be a little cautious. Uh, in principle, I think Bitcoin is a beautiful idea. It is allows us, uh, you know, direct money transfers or value transfers from one person to another without involving a third party like a bank or a credit card company, or even PayPal. So you know, just imagine how much uh, that cuts out the middleman and what kind of benefits that could give. Um, now, Bitcoin itself has... What
1: are the advantages? What, what Explain some of those. Why is this oh, okay. so great? Why, in, the, in theory, does this seem like a great idea?
4: Okay, well, so let's... You know, the world is bigger than Canada, right? So let's think of outside of Canada for a moment. Um, in the third world, there are... Hundreds of millions of people who don't have a bank account, who have no, no hope of actually ever receiving or getting a bank account. All of those people could just use a cell phone and essentially make value transfers without having to go through a bank. There's no need for a bank anymore. And if you think about that, really beautiful that could give big banking services um, to many people. It would make their lives so much easier because it's much harder to steal uh, a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin directly from a person also think of an even better example are international remittances. That's a $600 billion market these days. And if you think about it, and it's more actually than all the development aid that that flows into the third world. And most of these remittances go from the developed world into the underdeveloped world. So think about there's a nanny in Toronto that wants to send money home to support Mm -hmm. their family. Mm -hmm. It's really poor people sending money to poor people. And You know, the fees that people pay currently if they use something like Western Union or if they use their banks, they're astronomical. They're on the order of about 10%. So imagine that poor people sending money to poor people and they have to pay the equivalent of a 10% tax on it. That's just outrageous. And, you know, the promise of cryptocurrencies is that you can do the same thing directly from one person to another, basically within minutes, and these international remittances take usually a week or so, so they can do this instant, almost instantaneously for extremely low fees. That's at least the theory, and that's a beautiful thing if you think about it.
1: What uh, What are the banks fearful of with Bitcoin? What can banks learn from Bitcoin or, or or typical traditional financial financial institutions?
4: Well, let's be clear. I don't think any bank is worried about Bitcoin itself.
1: Bitcoin is
4: as a as a means of a transferring value extremely inefficient. It's can basically the Bitcoin network as a whole can process about seven transactions a second. Compare that to Visa, which can uh, process something on the order of 15000 a second. Hmm. So, you know, the, the, tr- the throughput of Bitcoin is just not high enough. And I don't think that any bank is literally concerned about Bitcoin itself. They are, however, concerned about, I'm not so sure if they're concerned about or if they're actually looking at this with an eye to enormous cost savings um, you know future developments in the underlying technology. That's the, the big there, the buzzword is blockchain technology. Um, essentially, it's again it's some form of distributed database. Um, it gets a little technical if you if you go into the details of it. But basically, the idea is again is you have frictionless transfers of of value and of valuable information. So I mean, all the banks are looking into this.
1: You know. So will Bitcoin get larger than what it is? Uh, banks have nothing to fear of this even though this may be the future? Well
4: you know again, so we see the price of Bitcoin going through the ceiling at the moment mm-hmm. and people are losing their minds over it. And I think this is really what it is mostly. You know, if you think about it, it's a, it's a worldwide phenomenon. You cannot open a web browser. You cannot open a news website without reading about Bitcoin and the search in Bitcoin prices. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's literally, there's literally two, three billion people in the world who know about it. And it's just a small fraction. So, so, say, 100 million people take $100 of pocket change. I mean, $100 is not pocket change for everybody, but for many people it is. And they just go, ah, I'm just going to try it out. Let's see if I can buy some Bitcoin. You have $10 billion flowing into the market. And that could happen basically for days on end. And so, of course, then it's just mechanical that the prices will go up. But at some point, the fresh money that now drives the surge in prices uh, will stop coming, and at that point we're going to see what happens. Going to be That's actually going to be there's a lot of interesting things there that could happen that uh, worry me a little bit.
1: If it's not the future, are we to assume that anyone who has any dealing with it is using so, doing so for nefarious reasons?
4: No, I wouldn't go that far. I think a lot of people hope Bitcoin and buy it just to see what it is. I don't think many people really understand what it's doing. Now there is nefarious activity with Bitcoin, um, but there's also nefarious activity in, you know, with with mm-hmm. iTunes gift cards, as you mentioned before, right, okay. and with cash. So it makes some nefarious activities probably a little easier, and that's something that we have to learn how to deal with. But it, you know, we can't go and say this is all evil.
1: Talking about typical frauds, things that have happened, people now using this as a method of payment. Uh, Are you surprised to see that? Not at
4: all, actually. So one of the things that makes it convenient is it is almost impossible. It's actually impossible to reverse a transaction once it's been settled on the blockchain. um, The money is gone, basically.
0: Mm -hmm. Nobody's
4: going to make you good on it. Right. Uh, So you know, this looks like it's something really nice for fraudsters, but. You know, they still have to be very careful to cover their tracks because you can track people and you can track their with Bitcoin payments. So,
1: so why would this not, you know, and I maybe it's a question that can't be answered, especially, you know, when people are buying gift cards uh, to do the same thing. But why wouldn't this red, raise red flags for people?
4: Wow, well, that's a very good question. I mean, many of the scams that are out there, they are so obvious that, uh, you know, you always wonder, why do people actually fall for them? But hey, you know, for the scammers, it's it's a game of numbers. You send out 100 million email messages, and, you know, if you get, uh, right. you know, just, you just need a few hundred people to respond to it, and you make money. Oh, and if, on that, you know, that may be actually useful for your listeners. There is actually a, a very nice artificial in, intelligence system. So when you get a scam message, you should just forwarded to an email address who's called me at rescam.org. And they were trying to do is they're trying to go back to the scammers and trying to occupy their time. Hmm. <laughs> that's a pretty good way to um, get back at them.
1: Oh, my. Uh, so in other words, that's like, uh, the, you know, the person that calls you uh, via the telephone just keeping them on the line like the telemarketer almost.
4: Exactly, because, that you know, time is their, is their problem, right? So if, mm-hmm. if you get people responding to them trying to engage in a conversation, that's just very time-consuming for them. And then they can't do their scams anymore. At it, some point, it doesn't pay anymore.
1: Is it a certain type of individual that falls for something involving a Bitcoin? I mean, is this targeted at certain people? that would? Because you would have to know a certain amount about Bitcoin, would you not, to even venture down this path? Oh, wow, that's a really good question. Uh, and, and, I mean, at what point would they say, what's Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, so I have... I mean,
4: I find when you read the, the CBC article on this, one, I'm really surprised that somebody falls for a scam and then has the ability to actually buy Bitcoin because it's not exactly. a, it's not a trivial to do.
1: <laughs> exactly, how would you know one and not the other, and vice versa? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't make sense for me either. So, are these attractive to certain types of crimes, to certain type of uh, of of uh, well, crimes or victims?
4: I honestly, you have to ask the RCMP for that one. I'm I'm mm-hmm. really not a fraud expert on that one. As I said, if every time something is popular and big, it's not a surprise that people fall for, for scams and frauds. But look, I mean, there's actually some bigger scams and frauds going out with initial coin offerings and the like that, you know, dwarf by a very long mm. shot what we see with, with Bitcoin fraud. Uh,
1: many have, have uh, those who have tried to explain Bitcoin and, and figure out where it is, figure out where it started, how it originated, uh, who, you know, what's behind it, what's backing it. Um, many have compared it to a Ponzi scheme or a pyramid. What are your thoughts?
4: Well, that's a little, that's a stretch, really, right? Because Is it? Essentially, when it, so there was, it was an idea of a value transfer system. They called it a coin. You can think about it as just a digital piece of information that you trade back and forth. Right. It was set up, I think, in, it started, I think, in about 2009, and it took until 2010 before the first, um, before the first, transaction actually happened. And can you believe it, by the way, the first transaction happened for two pizzas for 10,000
1: Bitcoins. Hmm.
4: Now imagine how much money that is at the current $17,000 yeah.
1: valuation. That's a lot of pizza now. Yeah, it's a lot of pizza. So, I would like to have the person selling that pizza. Many, and many have said that. Many have talked about the days when they had this, when it was certainly a lot less in value than it is now. So where is this going?
4: Well, as I said, so as long as fresh money is pouring in, prices will likely go up. But you know, at the end of the day, Bitcoin itself is technologically limited. There are some econ- economic reasons which make it fundamentally flawed. I'd be happy to talk about that for the next two hours. Um, and it's just—it's just not—it's just, not, just not a thing. I—I I cannot see it becoming a date uh, something that is really a, a worldwide payment mechanism.
1: So, are, are, are people technology will right? The technology, the technology behind is, it, yeah. The technology is really powerful. Uh, so is this just uh, fun for some? Is this leisure for some? Or are there some taking this seriously?
4: Uh, so you mean in terms of the, the as a currency? I yeah. Mean, I cannot – that's hard. I'm sure some people take it seriously, but – um, and there's a lot of people who develop tools that are based on using Bitcoin, about the technology and so on, and they justifiably take this very seriously. But most people who buy Bitcoins at this point, they're just doubling around, if you ask me. If, if somebody literally put their life savings into Bitcoin, oh my God, I mean, that person, you know, must be totally insane That's
1: So will this? Will we see this in a different configuration? Will we see banks picking up or larger financial uh, institutions uh, taking advantage of this technology? Will Bitcoin be around five to ten years from now?
4: Absolutely. So Bitcoin, I'm not so sure about. um, But for sure, the technology will be around. So think of Bitcoin as blockchain
0: 1.0. It's
4: clunky. It's old. It's slow. It's very limited. Blockchain 2.0 is a system called Ethereum, which was developed by some Canadians um, in Waterloo. Uh, the major developer, if you want to know, is, is Vitalik Buterin, extremely smart person, um, was 19 years old at the time. Mm. The idea there is that you build a decentralized Internet and you have a decentralized virtual machine. So like a world computer. And, you know, to operate this computer, there is a cryptocurrency behind it, which is called Ether. Um That allows people to actually use it, and the the ideas behind it the technological possibilities are phenomenal and Now I'm waiting so with if you think of you can compare it to the internet, you know Bitcoin is something like Alta Vista, and ethereum is probably more like yahoo and what we're waiting for currently is is a Google's you know the search engine mm-hmm. which allows us to find everything, and we do the same thing with we're waiting for the same thing for the blockchain technology, something that allows us to do everything.
1: How will this change uh, the financial industry? I, I mean, e- even in just sheer numbers of employees? Oh, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, so I think the the profession that is
4: actually most at risk is the accounting profession. Mm-hmm. Because so a lot of firms already use um, big databases like Oracle and SAP. Now, one of the problems is is that the transfers of value and you know, transfers of goods and the recording of it is still very clunky. Um, what you can do with blockchain technology is automate the entire process. So a lot of the account reconciliations that are necessary, money flows from A to B, you have to make sure that the other party received the money and all mm-hmm. of that, that can all go away.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, so uh, if I would be an accountant, I would be concerned. And then on top of that, art, add artificial intelligence, and I would be really concerned. Um, it will also change the financial industry. Fundamentally, we don't know yet exactly how uh, all of the banks are working on this. They're trying to see how they can implement it. But surely, there's a huge potential for, uh, you know, productivity enhancement, but it would also lead most likely to job losses. Hmm. But there's more opportunities too, right? So if mm-hmm. you are in the business of developing this tool, there will be banks are pretty clever, right? So they Even in the 1980s, when the first computers came on, when mainframes came out, they thought, well, we don't really need people anymore because they don't have to enter numbers anymore. But then the opposite happened because the banks found all these new things that they could do. Hmm. And you would imagine the same thing will happen with this technology.
1: Andreas Park has been with us, Associate Professor, Institute of Management and Innovation, Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto. Andreas, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHL. You know, this sort of stuff just breaks my heart. And, um, you know, I, I watched this this morning and just thought, wow, well, this is one of those things, if there's anything that we can do to try to solve these problems and make people just more empathetic towards each other, just at least try to make people nicer, be nicer to each other, uh, then at least we're, we're doing something with this old radio show. So, um... What we're going to play for you here is a video of a young boy who's gone, it's gone viral, uh, inspiring many to, to spread the word and share the message. And um, and basically what this is, is a boy who's uh, coming home from school, he's in the car with his mom, and he's crying because he's being bullied. They're calling him ugly, they're throwing things at him, just terrible crap that you know I I guess we've all seen we've all remember as kids but it's just damaging there's no there's no reason for it and uh, and as well the people that are usually doing it have got a myriad of problems themselves and that's why they're taking it out on other people um, and at least we're drawing more attention to this sort of thing. And uh, you know, kids will be kids. Yes, that's what parents that's what people always say to me when we do these features. Kids will be kids, and that's true. But, you know, if if we can somehow uh, try to teach them to be nicer to each other and respect each other and treat each other the way they would like to be treated, um, maybe we can we can solve something. Maybe we can move the discussion forward. Here is, uh, of course, the audio of that uh, video.
5: Just out of curiosity, why do they bully? What What's the point of it? Why do you find joy in taking innocent people and finding a way to be mean to them? It's not okay. What do they say to you? They call me. They make fun of my nose. They call me ugly. They say I have no friends. What do they do to you at lunch? Put milk on me and put a hand down my clothes threw right at me. Is it just you? Yep. Or is it other kids too that feel that way? Say it's other kids too. How's that make you feel? I do like that they do it to me and I for sure don't like that they do it to other people because it's not okay. People that are different don't need to be criticized about it because it's not their fault. But if you are made fun of, just don't, don't let it bother you. Just stay strong. I guess. It's hard, <laughs> but it'll probably get better
1: one day. Wow. It'll probably get better one day. Sheesh. Imagine how that parent feels. Uh let's bring in Gary Dierenfeldt, social worker yoursocialworker.com your thoughts Gary Hey hey Scott
6: good to be with you again that is such a compelling video isn't it mm. I mean you, And you know it, what it,
1: this boy is so smart he's so thoughtful in what he says he's so observant in what he says and even at the end says you know I guess it's going to be okay Hmm
6: yeah, so here's, here's a kid who has some uh, obvious uh, physical differences from other kids. He has a bit of a speech impediment. And so, you know, sad but true, these differences can set kids up to be targets of bullies. And, you know, this kid is just lamenting, like, what is this all about? Why are they picking on me? Like, I, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And let's face it, he's
1: absolutely right. Um, And giving giving good reasons for it. Pardon me? And giving good reasons for it. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's a smart boy. He is. I mean, he's he's such a sweet boy as well. I mean, that comes through,
6: and his anguish comes through. You know, there's a triangle in bullying, and the triangle is uh, the bully, the victim, and the bystanders. Mm. And in circumstances such as this boy has faced, um, it hasn't been happening in isolation. There are plenty of bystanders, and for bullying to continue, you not only need the victim, but you need the the acquiescence, the 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 lack of action by those bystanders, the enablers. Well, yeah, enablers uh, uh, for not having done anything. So you know, there's a message we want to give to parents. You know, we don't just want to um, help the victims stand up and speak for themselves we really want to touch those bystanders and help them particularly students at school understand that they have a role in what is going on and if you're not helping the victim you're helping the bully Mm -hmm. and so you know parents you got to tell your kids very directly in these circumstances support the victim which doesn't mean putting yourself at harm, Mm -hmm. but it could mean, you know, call another teacher, call another adult, gather a group of of other bystanders to stand up against the bully. Um, If this stuff is happening online through social media, parents tell your students, do not like it, do not share it, do not respond to it, bring that information to an adult. You know, the thing about social media, which... You know, kids don't realize it's a permanent record. Yeah, And so this is the tangible proof of what's going on so that parents have something to work with.
1: So, and by the way, you can see that clip on our website at 900CHML.com, and and please share it with as many as you can. Um, mm. What do you tell this boy? What is the mother? You can just, you, you know, you can imagine how the mother's feeling.
6: Yeah, the, you know, the truth is there's not much you can tell the boy. What you want to do is hug him up. Uh, Because anything you can say is likely just going to fall, you know, hollow, apart from empathizing.
1: Well, after he unloads and he says what's on his mind quite eloquently, Mm -hmm. really, despite his his obvious challenges, um, you know, he kind of looks away and, you know, it's the way it is, and what do you do?
6: Yeah, forlorn. So we do want to help empower these kids. And the other thing, you know, many of these kids are... So intimidated, they don't want the adult to intervene on their behalf. Yeah. They're, excuse me, they're afraid of repercussions. And if they don't deal with these things, uh, they actually continue. They can get worse. So parents have to be careful not to get sucked into the fear, the anxiety of the child who says, "No, no, don't tell. It'll only make it worse." Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we have to so support our kids, let them know it won't get worse, we're going to deal with this, no one's going to hurt you, sweetheart. And, you know, you go to the people in charge, and parents, when you go to the person in charge, please don't go in loaded for bear, because how you communicate the problem can wind up being, being the issue that gets addressed versus the problem you're trying to address.
1: Yeah, I have that so, issue sometimes.
6: <laughs> yeah, it, you know, you go in loaded for bear, and then people are dealing with you and not, not what you're trying to communicate. So go in very level-headed. Go in reasonably. And I, at the end of the day, the best thing that can happen is a meeting that not only involves the bully the and the victim, but the bully, the victim, and the bystanders. Hmm. And... You know uh, you know Perry Mason, the yep. retired uh, mm-hmm. Hamilton cop, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. You know, he does yeah. these
6: kind of healing circles. Fabulous mm-hmm. guy.
1: Yeah, he is. We've had him on a few times, yeah. Yeah.
6: As a matter of fact, I called on him recently to help another uh, family where there was some serious bullying. So you, you pull together the three, uh, three parts of the triangle. And you have an open discussion, you make what's covert overt, and you talk about this, you look at the impact, you look at the bully, and it's never also with the view of beating up the bully, that's just more bullying. Yeah. It's with the sense of helping him under, he or she understand, not acceptable, what's going on, we all want to be able to live uh, comfortably, reasonably, safely.
1: And as you, uh, g- 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 this happens either gender, it's just as bad boys or girls, isn't it? Oh,
6: yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Girls tend to be less physical in terms of their yeah. bullying, more psychological, more emotional. And also, uh, they will use excluding uh, more commonly, mm-hmm. so you're just not going to be part yeah. of our group. Uh,
1: uh, something interesting too that that this boy Keaton, his name's Keaton Jones, said, um, and, and the mother, and credit her for kind of trying to bring this out of him and, and find a solution. Um, you know, he she asked him if he had if if they do these if they do these things to other kids as well. At first he said no, but then he said, yeah, they're just, they're bullies. How, how does that help in this discussion? The fact that like this poor guy thinks it's him, it's not. These these people are jerks and they're going to treat other people that way too.
6: Yeah. I don't know where mom was going in that discussion. Is this boy doing it to other boys? Maybe if it's, he's doing it to other boys, it's not just you. And therefore don't feel so bad. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know that that helps this boy feel any better right? Good so, point. you know, and, and the other thing is, kids who bully, they tend to have more than one target. Yeah. They're going to have multiple targets, the degree to which they can get away with it. If, you know, that behavior gets reinforced, it gets repeated. So um, rather than going in that direction, you know, I'd love to see a follow-up tape where we actually have that boy, the bully, and the bystanders, in a room and they're having a debrief, mm. uh, talking about what transpired and, and why that's no longer acceptable.
1: What type of person does this? I mean, mm. you know, and we all remember what it was like in school, we all we all remember. Um, but what person, and, and you know, there's stuff that's kids stuff, whether it's acceptable or not, and then there's other scenarios where you wonder, wow, how can people do that to other people? Um, yeah. What does this say about the bully, the person?
6: You know, uh, you've got to know that's been studied tremendously. So what it says about the bully is that frequently they are uh, distraught themselves, typically about things going on in their own life, uh, usually emanating from their families. We worry about, um, uh, you know, is there distress between the parents? And, you know, sometimes we say, oh, you know, somebody's beating up somebody in the family. No, no, not necessarily. So distress in the family doesn't equal... Uh, violence maybe someone is ill maybe someone has a problem with drugs or alcohol maybe there is an absent parent uh... maybe somebody has dementia who knows but the kind of distress where the where the bully has no other means for discharging their negative uh... energy so it's not uncommon that we see some issues underneath the bully's behavior that on an individual basis, apart from sorting things out with the victim and the bystanders, it's good to help that bully figure out what's going on for them and that family and uh, provide services as may be required.
1: It's interesting how this boy at one point says, I I don't like that, I don't like that they do it to me, and I for sure don't like uh, they do it to other people because it's not okay. People that are different don't need to be criticized about it. It's not their fault. The fact that he says it's not their fault, what does that say to you? Yeah,
6: yeah. You know, it's like, look at me. God made me this way, and um, I may not look uh, typical like everyone else. And and indeed, the the boy looks like he had a a repaired uh, cleft palate Mm -hmm. that left him with, you know, a little bit of facial scarring and a speech impediment. So... You know, he is different than some of the other boys. Different doesn't by any means equal he should be centered out or that there's anything wrong with him. And, and so he's kind of lamenting and, and speaking to that in that video with, with quite a degree of insight into his situation. Mm. But this is a kid who, you know, the scars on the outside are not going to be anything compared to those scars on the inside for, for looking different. And we don't want anyone to feel that way. You know, do you remember in the 1990s, Scott, uh, Jean Chrétien? Yep. There was a conservative uh, commercial that made reference to his uh, facial palsy. Yep. And, man, was that ever slammed, right? Yeah, Yeah. As it should have been. But here we are 20 years later. Yeah. And, uh, there's always a new crop of kids. There's always a new crop of parents. And so these messages never grow old. We always have to repeat
1: them. How does this affect this boy? How does this, how will this affect Keaton?
6: So, you know, how it affects the boy in part depends on how the matter will, uh, shake out, how it gets resolved. You know, in some situations, again, if there's a kind of a healing circle, restorative justice, if everyone can get in the room at the same time, not with a sense to beating up the, the bully, but kind of making things right and helping people talk, helping this boy to express what it has done to him so that he, he finds his voice and a mechanism for letting others know. In that circumstance, it can be more than healing. It can be empowering, and so that would be a best-case scenario. If it doesn't get addressed, and, you know, I, I've heard this, I've seen this of, of uh, families where, where parents come to me, they take the kid out of the school, put him in another school, and again, because of the child's differences, they may be t- a target again in the new
0: school. Yeah.
6: And so there are these multiple ex- negative experience that the child has with respect to bullying And it just beats them up emotionally, psychologically, where they have trouble coping. They may feel suicidal. And and indeed, in Canada, from both coasts, we have experiences of uh, girls taking their own life, the outcome of bullying. Mm -hmm. And so we do want to address this forthrightly. We do want to repair. We don't just... You know, want to take the kid from one situation out of it, place them in it. There's no learning. There's no uh, restoration in yeah. it. Yeah.
1: Um, what will this scenario and how this is, the, you know, the mother obviously recorded him. It's now gone viral. He's got lots of positive response. Could this end up making things worse or will this make things better? How How, how will what this has blown up into help him?
6: Great question. I don't know if that viral video uh, is neutral, going to help or going to hinder. Um, you know, it's nice that the as a result the boy is getting a lot of positive support, but it still doesn't rip, repair things with the actual bully, and so we don't know what's going to happen there. And and I'm of the view that it's not enough that this boy gets support from the general community or the world things need to be sorted out directly with that bully Uh, because he can still live in fear that this bully will come after him one day because that's the part that hasn't been resolved.
1: Mm. What should the school do? What's what's their role?
6: You know, that is a question many, many parents call me, you know, looking for the right answer. Um, Schools these days, they are typically better prepared to deal with bullying, which doesn't mean it works in all cases and it doesn't mean all schools are doing it well. But what they should be doing is, again, uh, first of all, trying to make situations safe for students, addressing these matters forthrightly, uh, hopefully facilitating um, uh, restorative justice between the the victim and the uh, the bully perpetrator. That's best case scenario.
1: Uh, interesting note from a listener uh, in regard to the 19-year-old boy that was recently uh, shot in Hamilton uh, mm-hmm. coming to the defense of an uh, older gentleman who was being um, accosted. Uh, the listener says, help the victim as a bystander uh, and get shot like this boy. No way. How, well, how do you... How do you re- I mean, you know, it's like you get one reaction, you got the opposite.
6: Yeah, so here we are in Hamilton. We've got the experience of, of this uh, wonderful Muslim youth who stepped up to help an elderly person who was being bullied and he winds up being shot and killed. This is, first of all, it's a rare outcome. Mm. Let, let, let's just yeah. make that clear. It's yeah. a rare, it's a tragic outcome. Um, and that's why we say if the bystander is going to come forward, we want you to do so in a way that is safe. So coming forward doesn't necessarily mean intervening yourself uh, these days, cell phones, smartphones, they're all over the place. Pick one up, phone 911, um, gather around a larger group of bystanders to to uh, bear witness. Uh, they can all take out their smartphones. They can all start uh, videoing it, and somebody can shout that the police have been called and we have you on video. These are ways where in the most extreme situations, such as what happened in Hamilton last week, uh, where bystanders can still make a, a difference, yet be safe or safer.
1: In other words, don't just do nothing.
6: Don't just do nothing. Um, that's how we enable. That's how we allow bullies to be reinforced, to, to,
1: to go on and do it again. Gary Dierenfeld is with us, Social Worker, YourSocialWorker.com to find out more. Gary, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated great to be with you. the scott thompson show weekdays from noon to three on am 900 chml